Hello. This week, the BBC has been celebrating its 100th anniversary, if you hadn't noticed. Well, maybe you haven't, as the nation's attention has been gripped by the soap opera playing out in Westminster, with scripts no writer could dream up. To celebrate the BBC's birthday, I'm joined by one of its greatest broadcasters, Melvin Bragg, who joined the corporation 60 years ago, six years before I did. We were both brought up in Cumberland, and I've always felt that when talking to him I was a first former and he was school captain. Listening to this week's In Our Time on Radio 4, now in its 25th year, the edition was on tetrapods, I felt more like a first-year undergraduate in the presence of world-ranking scientists. Melvin Bragg, Lord Bragg of Wigton, has just published a memoir about his growing up in his hometown called Back in the Day, which has had more than one reviewer in tears. The school captain joins me now. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Melvin. <laughs> um, um, I want to talk to you about the future of public service broadcasting and the role of the BBC and arts coverage in general, but... First, I was very struck by an interview you gave to the New Yorker magazine in which you said this, I think the fascination of knowledge is an addiction, and I sometimes think the fascination of knowledge is the meaning of life. You still seem to be addicted. Yes, I am, and I think that one of the, one of the few generalisations I've said that I'll stick by. <laughs> I do, I think the fascination of knowledge is the meaning of life. We, we want to know more, we're a curious a species full, full of curiosity. What's over the next hill? What's in the sea? Like, I think knowing more, we think, is what keeps us going. I stand by that. It's more elaborate than that, but for, for the sake of a brief answer, I absolutely stand by that. And But that, how widely do you think that's held? Because you get a suspicion nowadays that a lot of commissioners have less confidence, if you like, or if it's an ordinary listener or ordinary viewer, than you have. You seem to me have always said... This is interesting. I believe it's interesting. Other people will. Well, let's find out. Yeah, you've got the basics. Yeah, absolutely. And on the whole, quite enough of them do. I mean, we don't get the audience at the Queen's funeral, God, but we don't do badly for what we are. Well, you're one of the, if not at the most downloaded podcast, I can't even say it correctly now. There's so many different terms. Right, OK. You're one of the biggest downloads. We do okay for for what we do for the pitch we make. We do pretty well with the with audiences. So enough people listen. A lot of young people listen, and it, because of the podcast, because of the sort of thing you're doing, we do go worldwide. It's extraordinary. I, that always baffles me, but there it is: four or five million a month go worldwide. Do you feel that quite? I don't know the right term. Humbling that. I mean, the idea that you can sit in a small studio or in a room at home, in the knowledge that somewhere around the world people are going to pick up and think about what you've decided to discuss. I never think about that, Roger. It would stop me doing anything. <laughs> and usually, usually the subjects are things I know little about before the week before when I start sorting it up. So I'm concentrating hard on keeping up. <laughs> That'll do. We're keeping up. But do you how does she remember? Because I feel, listening to, to In Our Time, sometimes a tremendous elation of an insight. And then about two or three days later, I've forgotten what the insight was, <laughs> and you have to do it every week. Do you find yourself... Oh, I suppose you've got your notes to refer back to, haven't you? I've got my notes, but, uh, yeah. My view is, it's just a view, it's probably completely wrong, that when you're about 17 or 18 you get, or 19, you get a grid in your mind. And that's the grid of stuff that you know quite well. And the rest of your life you spend adding to it and m m tinkering with it. And so if you've got that grid there, a lot of that comes in will stick with it. 
stuff that's completely off the grid, like for me, physics and astronomy, uh, you have to work differently at and hard at, and that's why I enjoy doing the programs. I think a lot of people like listening to the program because they find out things they know nothing about. And you have this curious title, In Our Time, which <laughs> actually doesn't mean anything, does it? No, it's meaningless, absolutely. Well, <laughs> well when the, the, first B, the BBC slang title for it was The Death Slot. Because the Thursday morning, too. Yeah, the yeah. Thursday morning, when I got fired from start of the week for becoming a Labour peer, the that was hardly Telegraph. A political, that was hardly a political show, by the way. I no, still don't understand that firing. Never mind. Never mind. Well, you were it's fired, a, yeah, it's yeah. an internal BBC matter, really, yeah, and let's leave true. it at that. <laughs> Telegraph took against it and defended what I was doing, and, and I came back with this other show, and they wanted to call it Melvin Brown, and I wouldn't have anything with my name in it. So then the, the then head said, oh, what about in our time? And I thought, that'll do, and there you are. Why not your name in it? I don't like that. Right. Well, let's get on to the subject of the BBC's <laughs> 100th anniversary. I mean, we're all obviously celebrating its past. Do you think we should have a future to celebrate in a few years' time? Is it something of its time? You know, when it starts up, it's the only broadcaster. When you joined it uh, very shortly afterwards, well, when you joined it, I think BBC Two was just about to start up. So ITV was there. That's only three television channels. I mean, now the world is so different. Do we still need the BBC? Yes, absolutely. It keeps the rest of them honest. I mean that. I think the BBC does attempt in most of its areas, in all of its areas, I'd say, to reach the highest standard and to reach the greatest number of people, to do what Reith said they should set out to do. They still do that. And they reap the rewards of that all over the place in the great embroidery of uh, Radio 4 where so many niche programmes, little programmes, quarter of an hour programmes, half hour programmes, you wouldn't get that anywhere else than the level that it's, uh, that it's offered by the BBC. But marketeers would say the market will deliver and look, for example, you're an example, Melvin, you're on Sky Arts, you're doing arts broadcasting there, that shows you, you, you we're not dependent on the BBC. I didn't say we weren't dependent. Uh, I think that but the BBC is the centre still in this country of broadcasting. I'm referred to radio. I think it's non-pare in radio. A lot of other radio stations turning up, some of them very good, uh, some of them with good interviewers on and good music and so on and so forth, but nothing like, nothing like the concept comprehensiveness and the quality of the BBC which serves this country in so many different ways. Now television is slightly different because in television what you have uh, is competition has been there for, as you say for about 40 years of a very high order in the main areas, drama, news and so on and that's okay that hasn't worked out badly and I don't think that sort of competition is any real worry. The BBC is holding its own with drama, with news again and again. So I don't think that's anything to fret about. I wonder, looking back, and of course you think there's, there are no golden ages, and particularly when you compress time, you select the best, forget the worst, put it together, it does seem like a golden time. And of course it was a different time because when people were moving in television from black and white to colour television licences, the BBC's income was going up very significantly without having to go back to Parliament for asking you know, an increase in the licence fee. So I understand that it's more difficult now. But there was a confidence then. People like you, at a very young age, could go battle for something you believed in, say a books programme. And they would say, well, OK, and if it doesn't work, Melvin, you're off. But here's your chance seem to be a preparedness to take risks with individuals that some believe is not there now. Well, I don't know the television commissioning scene well enough 
Roger. It seems to me, when I turn on television, there's still quite a variety there. As far as I'm concerned, there's never enough arts programmes, but I've been banging on about that since the 60s, so I don't think much has changed in that area. And BBC Do does a lot of stuff, and what they do is, generally speaking, of very high quality. I think it's in a different area. I agree with you there. I don't think it's doing lesser work, point. It's like a bookshop that used to sell a couple of three or four different books and now sells three or four hundred different books. Well, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine who've just done documentaries for the BBC. One of them said there were seven people who had to sign off on his programme and another said it was ten people. Now, you wouldn't have had anything to do with that, would you? No, I wouldn't, and it wasn't like that. I mean, I worked for in the department for Hugh Weldon and he said that's OK and we went and did it. Yeah. So that's changed and maybe they'll change back again. Uh, Maybe they're a bit nervous. Maybe they have to check all sorts of things we didn't have to check. I don't know, but it does seem to be a bit uh, a bit more complicated than it used to be. But if you were writing a sort of an art strategy for BBC, and I'm thinking particularly probably about television here, you would say, um, what is the unique role that the BBC can play that others won't do? Where's the gap where the BBC should concentrate? Is it on first-time writers? Uh, what is it that the BBC should specialise in if resources are getting tight? Well, I've always believed that you should cover the living arts. That's what I've done most of my uh, adult life. That I think you should continue to do, show people who are looking at television what people like them are doing in painting, writing, whatever it is. So I think that's one thing. I think they do that quite well. I, I just think they could do more of it. Bringing on younger people, well, yes, more of those sort of shows, but that isn't necessarily make for good programming. I know this is very dull, Roger, but I think there should be more arts programmes about people who are good at the arts and more programmes, arts programmes made by people who are good at making arts programmes. I just think it mustn't lose its place. It's had its place for a very long time in television and I think whatever you think of the arts channel, of the Sky Arts Channel, it does produce a lot of arts programmes and some of them are very good indeed. BBC One keeps doing it, BBC Two keeps doing it, Channel Four keeps doing it. I don't think it's in a bad place um, and I think some good stuff gets done. I don't think just in the current climate or in the place, time we live in, in the economy we live, you're never going to get much more than that. So what you need is to do that as best you can and those people who like it enough will come to it and will form a impressive and I think persuasive niche. I suppose that a lot of people would point out that interview programmes or chat shows or whatever you call them are invariably about someone who has something to sell Mm. and uh, because there are so many different outlets they could go to the interviewer essentially has to be very soft or in the case of Graham Norton turn it into a very entertaining programme but what isn't going to happen is a proper searching interview. No, chat shows have, have, have ballooned, haven't they? And the sort of well-researched stuff that we do and one or two other programmes do isn't as... I think we're just as, we're just as common. We're just... We're being... I, I mean, you can have Graham Norton and the chat show and us all on the same channel. Um, I think what you could say in another way is that people in the arts are more popular. I can't look at radio listings without somebody in the arts being interviewed. Uh, uh, the, all these new radio programmes, everybody I know turns up once or twice a week to chat away for an hour. Well, it's one way to do it. Some some people conduct chat aways very, very well indeed. It's one, one form. 
It's not a form that interests me much, but there you go. Uh, some people are against suggesting the age of broadcasting is, is over in a sense. The audience is fragmented too much. And yet, if you look at somebody like yourself and your background, where you came from, uh, there was a sense in which you were the inheritor of a, um, a view that anybody, no matter what their background, should learn about these things and has potential. And the people who taught you at school, and you have mentioned a particularly strongly an English master who had been, I think, in the war, had been a pilot in the war, didn't sort of worry about what he should teach you. He had a confidence that people like you and others should inherit a great deal of the best. I don't know if broadcasters feel that that's true And you believe in knowledge, yes. The, uh, well, the, also, <laughs> that we wish to transmit to everybody in this country a certain amount of knowledge from the past and then look at what has been done in the present. The few people I know in, across television are still doing that. They are, honestly. It isn't as pioneering as it was because we're past the pioneering stage. It isn't as prominent as it was because, as you said at the beginning, there's so many channels... I don't think it's a lesser. I don't think it's a lesser activity, and I don't think it's got a, le- a smaller presence. All sorts of things have got a smaller presence now. We don't see the the, the sort of documentaries we saw, and so we could go on with that. I don't know. I'm, I don't know why I'm so dug into this at this moment. Maybe it's talking to you, Roger Bolton, somebody from Carlisle. I mean, but it, I'm dug into the idea that that things aren't getting worse. They aren't bad. There's some very good producers and directors around. There are quite a lot of artists, old and young, who lend themselves to this this form. And, you know, we could do better, we could do more. But basically, even if it's by fingernails, it's it's holding on. And I think that's that's a good sign. It does need people in there who really believe in it and don't let the numbers drop or drop down and encourage those who do it to do more and give them a decent budget and a different place in the schedule but that's not much different from what it was about 40 years ago Can I ask you about how you think the BBC ought to respond if you are to criticism obviously there's a slight hiatus now there's been the Queen's funeral, there's been the celebration of the 100 years of the BBC's existence but what we're heading into is further cuts, I think the licence fee is supposed to be frozen for two years and then go up with the rate of inflation I don't know anybody who really believes it will go up with the rate of inflation there are further cuts coming down in these circumstances, the BBC, in a way, has to make its case again. Sometimes it seems reluctant to make its case. I agree with you. There, I do agree with you. And I've talked to... I've, I've said that when I called a debate on the BBC in the Lords about, I can't remember, two months ago, and in paper, and I've talked directly to one or two of the people at the top of the BBC saying, why don't you make a stronger case? Uh, why is it that you let a new radio station get away with we do this so we get so many viewers and you realize it's a week it's about a tenth of the viewers that today program gets in a morning and that sort of thing what do they say to you do they just oh it's very difficult melvin or what is it what do they say they say it's very difficult i think they're not used to fighting their corner in a sort of i'm trying not to say i was in it we were in a meeting with a senior BBC person a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying not to repeat what I said then because they'll know who the person is. I think they find it difficult to attack other programmes. I think that, that there's all sorts of difficulties, legal difficulties and so on. I think they're rather shy about talking up their programmes, except in numbers, and that's quite important, but not the only thing that's important. 
I wish they would just find a couple of people, or not ten people, um, but a couple of people to say, that was good, and this is why it was good, and so on. But you see, from their point of view, they'd say, look, we're in a hostile political atmosphere, all, which they are. They've consistent attacks from the Mail Telegraph but from the, and the Murdoch Empire, and there's some self-interested parties there. Uh, but there is still a belief in uh, certain parts of, particularly the Conservative Party and elsewhere, that the BBC is irredeemably centre-left, that all the young people who work for it are that, and that BBC, in the end, does not represent society in a wide enough sense. And they would say, well, you're wonderful, Melvin, but you are a Labour peer, so you probably wouldn't see this. Do you think, and or others would say, actually, what's going on here? It's not a bias so much. It is a lack of awareness. Yeah, but I'd like to challenge them, prove that any bias in the programme I do that's towards Labour or Tory or Lib Dem, it isn't there. A lot of that is absolute nonsense. It's self-serving. They, And the BBC is such a magnificent institution, it's easy to kick or piddle against, as it were, for your little dog running up to a big building. It's easy to get at uh, and it's irresistible because those three letters, BBC, always get you a bit of a headline. Dud MP, who nobody's heard of or nobody wants to hear of, has attacked the BBC on some spurious, nebulous, stupid grounds. And they get a bit of a showing, in, certainly in the local press, and then in the national press. Will people do it again in a month or two? The BBC is, the BBC is something you can kick, and uh, they kick away. When people leave the BBC, I'm talking about myself here, whatever, um, yeah, of course, some people go to the Daily Mail and say how terrible it is and how badly they've been treated, whatever, and I certainly wasn't. You know, I was very fortunate to do my programme for as long as I did. But there is a sense which they demand your loyalty. And you, you know, a lot of us who are friends of BBC, but critical friends of the BBC, wonder how to express those criticisms without helping the enemies. I mean, the thing I feel very strongly about is accountability. And from doing the feedback programme, BBC figures not turning up enough. Quite a lot of people would, but a lot of people not turning up because it wasn't the right time for the BBC. And I would say, so I don't care about that. The listener thinks it's the right time. They pay for you. You come on. But how do you express criticism without handing ammunition to the BBC's enemy? It's important to have a ventilator. It's important to have reaction. I think that they shouldn't be frightened. They're a magnificent institution. I've travelled a lot. And, you know, people like to talk about the monarchy a bit. But they, they, they the BBC comes up all the time in, in admiration. So it's still got that there. And in this country, I think that it's embroidered into people's lives. I go back to Radio 4, which I know better than other channels... When you look at the embroidery of, of what's going on that day, it's, it's bringing area after area, apart from the magnificent news bulletins, area after area of our national life, baking, star, stargazing, all sorts of things, science, comedy. It's an extraordinary construct. Once you get rid of that, you won't get it back again. Well, we are getting rid of some things. Uh, this is the problem, I think, that we all face, is the BBC is, is making cuts. I mean, we, the latest ones that we heard of more publicly would be cuts to the World Service. Which is just an act of idiocy. But it hardly registered, did it? I mean, maybe there will be a debate in Parliament about it. Well, it doesn't have to register a lot to be important. Those of us inside it, if we speak loud enough, we'll get heard. It's an act of idiocy. The World Service does much more for this country than any bleatings of prime ministers. And everybody knows that. Except them. <laughs> <laughs> And yet it's been cut. And, uh, but the point is, you know, we're now getting to a stage with the BBC where 
And what I fear is, and to be absolutely honest, is the BBC decides for its own future what it needs to cut, does a deal with government, and then tells the audience afterwards. And therefore the audience, which pays for it, will have will not be consulted really about things that they often care most about. So is there a need for a much more open BBC about the choices that it has to make? I mean, we'll have to make cuts, but be more open now about those choices before it decides what to do. Absolutely. I once worked with a man who had a good phrase. When we were in trouble, he would say, somebody say, well, we've, we're in trouble, we'll have to panic. And he said, yeah, we should start panicking now. And I think we should start panicking now. You put your finger on it, there is an encroaching mass, as it's turning out to be, not dependent or related to each other but it's out there in force who would benefit if there were no BBC they'd benefit they think in audiences they'd benefit in income they'd benefit in talent less of the the BBC there is the more that they would grow that's a in the capitalist society in which we live that's a perfectly straightforward ambition and there's nothing wrong about it it just happens the BBC is powerful and as long as it stays aware of its power and recruits good people it's, you know, it's going to be able to withstand the battering it will from now on get. Uh, because it, it can respond. Look at the way it can respond either with audience sizes, which are terrific. It can respond with talent it possesses, which is terrific. It can respond, but I don't... I, going back to a question you asked three or four questions ago, I don't think it emphasises its qualities anything like enough. I think it should do that more. Just bring this to people's attention. And do you think the Director General should speak a little more about radio? Because, frankly, I get a bit fed up about the fact that whenever they see, he makes a speech or whatever, I like this particular, by the way, Director General, he's a good guy, but it's always about television. I mean, I wish they talked a bit more about radio. And you look at radio budgets, they're extraordinarily small. I, I just sometimes feel we need a... And there is no longer a separate director of radio on BBC. There's a director of content who looks after everything. But there's nobody at the top table arguing specifically for radio. And radio budgets are cut back. And I think that's a weakness. I just wish they'd talk more about the glories of radio. I think it's, it's utterly baffling. The fact is that if you did something seriously damaging to Radio 4, people would march for it. They would march for Radio 3. And so I don't think they would march for BBC 2. I really don't. I think few would, but I don't think it's, it's dug into people's consciousness as much as the radio has. I think the radio is a resource that the BBC has that it massively underuses massively underuses it, it pays far less than television so there you go that's the way it is it must understand but it doesn't gather its forces in it doesn't reach out to those it's influencing every day from programme after programme I mean some people sort of live their lives according to Radio 4 or Radio 2 or Radio 1 it's on all day on Radio 3 especially in the evenings they don't get it. It's very odd that it is, I think, it's dug into people's minds in this country. The radio services that BBC offer, which are now six or seven different services, dug it in a way that television isn't, despite the fact that television produces a lot of good things. Radio digs in in a different way and is part of the sort of currency of thinking of a great number of people and a feeling and of enjoyment. And did you hear, did you hear, you hear, did you hear that more than did you see? It seems to me you are, you're optimistic about the potential of the BBC and the need for it in the future. Yes. Slightly less optimistic, probably, about the political environment in which we operate. Yes, I think that has to be fought for. And that's the way it is. I mean, when we did this debate in the law two, two months ago, 
the interesting thing for me was that the crossbenchers came were on the side of the BBC. Quite a lot of the Tories were, quite a lot of the Labour were, not all the, and it was all there. The constituency was in. Now this is slightly out of no, it isn't, and it was overwhelming. Okay, good speeches all over the place, really proper speeches. And afterwards, I thought, uh, I wonder what the BBC is going to do with that. And they did nothing. So I rang up the Director General, and then I rang up Alan Yantop, an old friend of mine. I said, look, if there's any changes to the BBC, it's going to go, have to go through the Lords. You've just got a mass of Lords who you probably didn't think would support you. They're all there. They're, why do you drop them a note? Just say thanks a lot. Hope you're still on our side in five years' time. Why do you do that? That'll be easy. It didn't ever occur to them. Now... That seems almost like... Did they say they would act upon your advice? Yeah, they did, and they did. And But they shouldn't have to be told. And I can't tell them to do their jobs. They've got big jobs. They're difficult jobs. But I come back to what we were speaking about earlier. I think it's a valuable... I think it's a valuable part of our national, our national profile, our national life. Valuable, I'd say. Not just entertaining, it is that. Not just innovative, it is that. Not just streets ahead of many of the others in terms of news. It is that. It's all those things. But it's a valued thing. It's something that's there. A hundred years is not a small time. And it's dug into people's lives. And, oh, the BBC says... You know, they, and the, the fact that people turn to the BBC on the big occasions, that's not a small thing. That says a great deal. We, we Oh, well, they turn to it. It's big when that happens, you know? It's important. When, and the BBC brings on... New artists and that, who then so what they go to Hollywood and make millions good for them, but they bring them on or some playwrights. The play department of the BBC Arts is terrific. I think it's very strong. So I, I think we would miss its omnipresence. The thing about this country is that we're very good at institutions. We're also pretty good at destroying them. And look what we're trying to do to our parliamentary system at the moment as we speak. It's all over the place because it, hasn't, it isn't taking itself seriously enough. It isn't saying, look, we represent the British people. We're trying to do the best for the British people. That's what it's there for. It isn't doing that. That's, I think that's the centre of the breakdown. We don't have many institutions of, of the weight and longevity of the BBC, and they're valuable. And once it's gone, it's gone. But we, you know, Henry VIII rocked, uh, wrecked some of the best monasteries in Europe ever built. You know, people started to wreck our cities about sixty years ago. You know, the city that's being wrecked. We just quite like to knock things down. It's good to hold on to some of the things we have. And the BBC is just—it's earned its keep. It's earned its keep as part of our national life and our national consciousness, and it's held fast when there's an awful lot of stuff being thrown at it, a lot of stuff, and quite difficult for those in charge to take on board and how to deal with it. Very difficult for them. What do they do? But I think, A, they hold on, and, B, I think they construct ways to fight back because I think people just don't know. Why should they? That The figures here are OK, but they're nothing like the real figures at the BBC. That's a small thing. And that the talent that comes through the BBC still and is fostered by the BBC still. No, I don't know. What do they want to throw it away for? I mean, why don't they go and knock down St Paul's while they're at it? 
<laughs> and what about you, Melvin? I mean, are you ever going to stop doing, voluntarily stop doing in our time? <laughs> <laughs> you mean, am I not going to get fired? <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Well, no, it's 25 <laughs> years coming up and some people yeah. would say, oh, well, Melvin, is it right time for you to stand down now? And your answer will be... No, it'll be the right time for me to stand down when I get fed up with doing it and I'm a million miles away from being fed up. And then when I'm fed up, I'll stand down and if they're fed up with me, they'll say time to go, one or the other. But the appetite's there, still there. Oh, yeah. If I, if I wasn't doing it for them, I'd be reading stuff for myself. Well, Melvin, that's wonderful news. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. And that's it for this week. Next week, I'll be talking to another peer of the realm, Charles Moore. Lord Moore of Etchingham, former editor of the Daily Telegraph, the Sunday Telegraph and the Spectator, and was also approached to be the BBC's chairman. Please do subscribe and support our podcast by subscribing on Pantheon for a mere £5 per month, a couple of posh coffees. You'll receive a newsletter giving you some of my musings on the interview and other Beeb-related news of that week. More importantly, you'll be keeping our podcast ad-free and hopefully securing our future. Do please listen in next week. Until then, goodbye.